4. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. We took this picture of Noah when he was a little baby, and he had backed himself into a corner, and he was at an age where he couldn't get out of the corner, and he's smiling right there, but those smiles quickly turned to cries as he cried out for help. I'm trapped. I can't get out of here on my own. He didn't know what to do. And he cried, just the noise, and we came to his aid. He's not still trapped in the corner. God wants us to cry out to him in our times of distress. That is the theme of Psalm 4. We look at the first verse there. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, you have relieved me in my distress. That word for distress is narrowing, a constricting place. And the idea is that David is in this place and he is trapped. He don't, doesn't know where to turn. He's feeling the pressure upon his situation. And he's crying out to God. And he says, you have relieved me. And the idea behind relieved is uh, following from the, the place where he feels trapped. You have brought me into an open area, in a wide area where I have space to move, space to breathe. So the idea here is I felt trapped and I cried out to you and I believe that you will answer and bring me out into that open area. They're no longer trapped and pressured in that place of distress. David says this in the past tense, so perhaps he's reflecting upon God's faithfulness to him in the past. You have relieved me. This is what you have done in the past, and that's why he's coming to him today, that you would do that today. Or it could be in the sense that he's confidently believing that God is going to hear and act, and so he believes it's as if you already have done this. You have already relieved me from that pressure of that tight spot. Notice what David is doing, the first line of that verse one, hear me when I call. What is he doing? He's in this distressing, pressing situation, and he's crying out to God. We looked at this some from Psalm 3 last week at how sometimes we don't cry out to God. In those times of distress, those times of difficulty, in our lives. But the examples of the Psalms again and again tell us cry out to God from the place of distress, from that place of pressure, that tight spot in which you are in. How many of you have ever felt pressed into a tight spot? I think we all have in different times and places where we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what our options are. Sometimes, like Noah, we get ourselves into that. Sometimes it's because of circumstances, what others have said, or uh, circumstances we find ourselves in our lives. Uh, sometimes it's because of health things in our lives. But in those times of, of pressure, those times when we feel pressed in with nowhere to turn, we, God wants us to turn to him. It might be something like this. I didn't think my marriage would turn out this way. 
relating to our job. My job just doesn't let up. It's hard to get along with my coworkers. It's hard to stay focused on my job. Money seems tight. No matter what we do, it just something seems to come up. Why do we keep having these same battles at home with the children? When will they get it? Will life at home always be like this? These health struggles that never seem to go away, no matter what I do, they remain. These worries won't go away. No matter what I think about, they keep coming back. What is it for you? What is that tight place in which you find yourself today? God wants you to call out to him from that place. And as you call out to him, there are truths that you need to realize from this psalm about God and your relationship with him. So it's not just calling out to him. He says, here's some encouragement for you. Here's some things you need to realize as you call out to God. We're going to look at three truths today, what you need to realize when you call out to God. And the first truth is this, God hears you when you call out to him because of your personal relationship with God through faith. Look in verse 1, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. So he's calling out to God and the God who has given him his righteousness. David is not saying, I'm a really good person. I had a a whole week of good days. That's why you should listen to me, God. He's saying, no, I am righteous in your sight. You have given me my righteousness, and that's why, because of my relationship with you, that's why I'm crying out to you. We see this taught as well in verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. So he's talking about that relationship with him. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So David is reflecting and he's saying, God, hear me because of my relationship with you, the one that has been entered into by faith. We see this taught various places in the Bible. I want us to consider from Romans chapter 4 why David could cry out to God because of his relationship with God. In Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, we read, uh, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In this context, Paul is teaching the church in Rome. He's saying, if you try to earn God's favor, if you're going to try to work for it, those religious deeds, those good deeds, are actually just going to end up being a debt. You're going to be further in debt compared towards God. But rather, him who does not work, that is, work for your own righteousness, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. There is a righteousness that God offers that you could never get on your own. And it is the righteousness you need, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is given to you not by working for it, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And God declares you righteous in his sight. Verse 6, Romans 4, 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man who, to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David had sinned many different times in his life, but he was forgiven of his sin. 
as he believed in God and his promises. And God gave him righteousness. He justified him, declared him righteousness, righteous in his sight. He did not hold his sin against him. And so when David is saying, God, hear me, the God of my righteousness, he's saying, hear me, I don't have any right on my own to come into your presence, but because of my relationship with you, I'm coming to you. And this challenge is for us as well to consider your own relationship with God. Are your sins forgiven? Are you righteous in God's sight? Have you responded to the gospel, placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior? If not, that's a decision that God wants you to make to personally respond to Jesus Christ, believing in him as your Savior. You see, God is not obligated to hear the prayers of everyone. He may be gracious and choose to hear their prayers, but God is not obligated to hear their prayers. He will hear, though, the prayers of his children. He hears them because of that relationship with him. We see this taught many places in the scripture. One instance in 1 John 3, 13 through 15. 1 John, sorry, 5, 13 through 15. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Notice how he says you can know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. There, God says he will hear the cry of his children. And if it's according to his will, he will answer that, but he hears their cry. But in contrast, God does not make that promise to the unbeliever unless it's the cry of faith, someone placing their faith in Christ. God does not promise to hear their prayer, but he does promise to hear the prayer of his children. This is what he also goes on and says, and he's speaking really to his opponents, those who are Oppressing him there in verse 2 and 3. But how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? You who are opposing me, you who are glorying in shameful things, you who are loving empty, vain things, you who are pursuing lies, it's not going to last. But know that the Lord has set apart. He is on the side of him who is godly the one who is pursuing the Lord because of his relationship with God, the one who is seeking to be faithful to God, the Lord will hear when I call to him. In ways he's affirming God's on the side of his children. God's on the side who know him by faith. God's not on the side of those who oppose him. And that is the confidence you have. And it's not in a, a proud way in any way, but it's a humble thankfulness. God says, I'll hear you. When you cry out to me, and I hear you because of that relationship with God through faith. This past week, we took, I took our boys to the park, and our older boys, they created an obstacle course. They had to go and through this certain route, and as they're going along, the older boys were doing it, and part of it involved monkey bars. And my rule for the park is you don't go on something if you can't do it by yourself. You can't always be there to watch, so... The older boys were able to do the monkey bars, and then the younger ones wanted to do that. And, and normally, I don't let them go on if they can't do it by themselves. Once in a while, I'll help them. 
And so they wanted to do this, and so they, they're saying, they cried out to me, Daddy, help. And so I went over there and helped them on the monkey bars so they could do the obstacle course. Now, if there was other kids at the park that said, Daddy, help, I might go help them. They had a need, but I'm not obligated to go help them. They're not my children. I am obligated to help my children with the things that are before them. I don't have that same obligation, though I may choose to, to help other people's children. God hears you when you call out to him because you are as a child. And what a comfort, what an encouragement that is to us. So hear me. Secondly, God uses these times of distress for you to examine your own heart and responses. David now in verses 4 and 5 speaks to himself and to others who are in a similar situation, the times of pressure, that times of being pressed in, not knowing which way to turn. Be angry and do not sin, verse 4. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Some translations say tremble, and I think it's in the tremble in the sense of angry and trembling with anger. If you've ever experienced that or seen that, so that someone can get so angry that they physically affected their bodies, trembling with that. It says, be angry, but what? Don't sin. So that indicates sometimes there's a fitting response to the injustices that we face, the evil that is in the world. The fitting response is anger. Now, the problem is we often respond in sin into that anger. We go further than just um, being upset about the injustice or the sin. And so he says, be angry, consider your actions, consider your response to this pressing in situation, and, but don't sin. Paul quotes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry, but do not sin. And so consider your responses to this. How are you responding to what is going on? So often in our anger, we lash out at others we, uh, with mean words, harsh actions, with a bitterness and revenge can flow from that initial response to the Lord or to, to the situations or people. And so he says, consider your responses. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate or think within your heart on your bed and be still. Meditate within you. Think about how you are responding. And to do so, it says, on your bed. So the, the private area of your life, the area where it seems like no one else sees and knows, certainly God sees and knows. But think about what's going on inside of you and how are you responding and be still. So often our response to our circumstances leaves us any place but the place of stillness before God. We're upset, we're agitated, we're focused on the problem, how we are going to respond to it, frustrated with our own response, and we're not at a place where we're still before God. So he says, consider your responses. Consider what's going on inside your own heart and life. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. For David, that would be an animal sacrifice offered, not just the right sacrifice, but in the right way. We don't have to offer those animal sacrifices today, but as believers, we do have sacrifices to the offer to the Lord of our lives, of 
praise to God, of serving God, of prayer. And we are to live in this life, offering these sacrifices to God the right way as we are trusting in the Lord. So think of it, you're in this pressing situation, what you want to escape, you don't know which way to turn, and God says, trust in me in the midst of that situation. Trust in me, and in the midst of that situation, consider your own heart and actions, consider your own responses. You see, God wants to do so much more than just deliver us from the situation. That's what we want, and we want it soon. We want to be delivered from that pressing situation so that we get into the open area where we can breathe, we have the freedom, we can sigh in relief, and we can go on with an easy life. But God often purposes and allows that situation to continue. Why? Because he wants to do a work in you. He wants to do a work in you to make you more like Jesus Christ. You see, remaining in a distressing situation can be a gift from God because it gives us opportunity after opportunity to respond in a way that Christ wants us to. It's an opportunity for us to grow, to become more like Jesus Christ. Yes, you're pressed in. You don't like this situation. It's not right how others have treated you, how you... uh, People are are, are treating you. But yes, God wants you to turn to him, to trust him. And in that, consider how you're responding, how you are reacting to your situations because he is purposing to use this trial in your life, this pressing situation to make you more like Jesus Christ. And if that is the end goal, that is a very good thing. So God uses the times of distress for you to examine your own heart and responses. And God is a source of grace, joy, and peace that transcends your circumstances. David says there in verse 4, there are many who say, who will show us any good? In a lot of ways, there's a connection between Psalm 4 and 3. Some commentators think that it was written about the same time Look in Psalm 1 and verse 2. There are many who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Why can you actually find help in God? What is God? Is God ever going to do anything good for you? And isn't that what, when in those trials, there's a trusting circumstance in our lives that we begin to question the goodness of God? If this is what I'm going through, is God really good? That is humanly what we can experience there. But David says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Let your face shine upon me, the sense of favor, the sense of grace. Let your grace be upon me. So David is looking to God as the God of grace, and he's remembering that God is a God who gives joy. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. There is joy in God much more than in a bumper harvest, a best harvest where there's a great yield and things go really smoothly. There's an abundance. He says, more than that, you have given me joy. 
Notice that joy is not in what God gives, but the joy is in God himself. That is what God wants us to recognize. And I, want, I think we need to recognize at this point here, David's circumstance is not changed. We're not told about that. He's looking to God, he's praying to God, but it wasn't like things suddenly got better and so now he has joy. He is remembering, I can have joy no matter my circumstances because God is God and he is enough. So he gives me joy and he gives me peace. I'll both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone make me dwell in safety. Whatever the distressing situation, if it was the same as Absalom, the army, as Psalm 3, out to get him or whatever that was, he felt in danger. He says, I am able to lie down and sleep and I'm able to do so because you are the one who gives me peace and you are the one who gives me safety. You are the one alone who gives this. The sense of peace is this wellness in every area of our lives. David's saying, I can be well spiritually. I can be well in my relationship with others. I can be well physically so that I lie down and I go to sleep at the same time. Those two are connected. How many times have you ever lied down and not been able to go to sleep because of the distressing situation that you're facing? And David is saying, because of God, because of trusting in God, you're giving me this peace. And, and again, it's not that things have changed. It's not that things have been resolved for David and he sees the way through, but he is focusing upon God and saying, God, you are the God who will give me peace despite my situation. And so I can lie down and sleep. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to have things better to have a peace, a joy in my life to know your grace because I have you through Christ, and that is enough. I'm going to surprise my wife. We bought this sign for Christmas a couple years ago. It was in the, uh, the fall late leading up to Christmas, and often we see on cards, Jesus gives joy. And this was uh, the time when we were going through Micah's cancer had come back, and things were getting worse and worse. And we weren't sure what the future would hold, knew that eye removal was a possibility. And I can remember somewhere in that time telling a friend, saying, I can't remember the last time I had a good day. It wasn't that there weren't good things in our lives, but it was just a very hard time, a pressing situation in our lives. And we got this sign to be that visual reminder that our joy is not found in our circumstances. It's found in Christ. And we have him, we have enough. And beyond the smiles inside in those days, we were fighting for joy. We were fighting to live out that reality that we know was there. The peace that we know was there, the grace that we knew was there, but we didn't always experience. And the Lord has brought us through that in a lot of different ways, but yet there's still the reality. With this, this day, what's the new pressing situation? 
Will I find my joy? Will I find my peace? Will I find grace in God alone? Or am I just looking for things to get better? Often the Lord does help things to get better. We can be thankful for that. But that's not where our ultimate focus is. Our focus must be upon the Lord. He is my source of joy. He is my source of strength. He is my source of peace and grace. And so I'm going to look to him again and again to live out that reality. So what is it for you? What is the pressing situation that is in your life? The thing that you want to escape, the thing you want to get rid of. Come to God, he'll hear you. He'll hear you through Christ. Examine your own responses. I know myself, I just want to get through it. I want to get past it. And I need to be reminded that God wants to do a work in me. And then remember, the source of your joy, grace, and peace is God alone.